Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. It seems Brandon is in quite a pickle with these Canadians. If I know Agent Hill, then I suspect he likes pickles, especially when served by lovely French-Canadian ladies. Or knife-wielding monkeys. I wonder if they will finally turn up. Not the pickles or the French-Canadians, the knife-wielding monkeys. Agent Hill is always going on about them. One can only hope, Welly. Now, keep reading. Onward. Part the Fourth, in which the plan springs a leak. The hours between their lunch and sunset seemed to pass in a blink, making Lenarval ready to cast off once again and gathering their notes to form a strategy for the evening. Together they opted to take shifts, one resting while the other worked. Brandon could not speak for a nook, but he had fallen asleep almost the instant he settled into the hammock they had strung up in the sub. Anouk had kept the fire going throughout the course of the afternoon, and, as the sun dipped below the horizon, Hill was grateful for the firelight as they finished breaking camp. However, with the light show above them, the fire might have been redundant. Bloody hell. They're bright. Anouk turned her gaze skyward as well. Some say, Brandon, the sky is merely a reflection of the fire that rages in the heart of the Acadian crew. With that, she strode towards the sub, the conversation seemingly over. Wait for me! He hurried into the pod after her. Thumping and banging reached them before they'd even secured the hatch. The hold's heavy door shuddered as the compass threw itself against its prison. The box held but slid across the deck until it started knocking into the bulkhead. It is, uh, agitated. To put it mildly. Giving the door a final glance and shudder, a nook strode towards the bridge. Moose has plotted the location of the Arcadian Rackage. It seems a good place to begin, I think. Uh, agreed. How long will our uh, trip take? He might not have cared under most circumstances, but with the compass turning the cargo hold into its own personal echo chamber, he did not fancy being held responsible for damaging precious Moose property. Not long. It is near where I found you. Despite Anouk's assurances, the trip seemed longer than Brandon remembered. He stayed on the bridge, trying not to lean too close as he peered out the port, and tried equally as hard to ignore the ominous knocking coming from the hold. As they descended, Anouk flipped a switch. Pale, ghostly lights filtered through the water ahead of them. Such lights? Impressive. Standard in Quebec. Ignoring that, Brandon strained to see through the murky water. A shape emerged from the dimness. Long, skeletal protrusions materialized through the gloom as though reaching for them as it ascended from the deep. Drawing closer, the bow and masts of the schooner took shape. Worn and blackened by years of wood rot and mold, the ship remained but a shell of its corporeal self. But as it cut through the water as easily as Lenarval, looking every bit a monstrous abomination, Brandon wondered how many nights it would be before he could sleep soundly once again. Anuk. I think we found it. That uh, cannot be, Brandon. 
We are still several minutes away from the Rex coordinates. Then what is that? The ghost ship. Not the wreck. The spirits. A thunderous clang rattled the pod. Brandon nearly lost his balance. Good God! The compass! It senses the ship is close. He turned back to the viewport. Although the ship's ascent had not stopped, it had altered course and now bore down on the subpod, closing range frighteningly quickly. Anuk, I have a bad feeling about this. The ship turned hard to port, exposing its broadside. As they drew closer, Hill glimpsed movement on deck. How on earth? His thought trailed off as the crew, their gaunt skin hanging off their bones, manned each of the three cannons mounted on the deck rail and turned their weapons towards the pod. They cannot fire underwater. Don't be so sure. I... Hale never finished the sentence as the pod rocked again, throwing him to the deck. What is that mauvaise cochon of a compass doing now? Anuk tightened the straps to the pilot's seat. It's not the compass. It's them. Another rumble filled their ears, and a split second later, the sub rocked again. Behind him, steam whistled as it escaped from a breached pressure pipe. I don't suppose you have any weapons on this thing? No. Then we're close enough. Dump the compass into the sea. Let them have it. There is no pressure to the steam line. The cargo area is sealed. The doors they will not open. Another volley rocked the pod. Are you telling me that the ghost ship is right there? He pointed out the viewport. And we are unable to do the very thing we came here to do? So much for superior moose technology. Anuk glared, and when she spoke, no hint of humor or rivalry lightened her tone. Brandon, le narval, he is badly hurt. I can get us to the surface, but past that, we are at their mercy. At least we can breathe at the surface. Anuk tapped a series of commands across her console and then pulled the wheel hard. The sub's nose pointed upwards at such a steep angle that Brandon fell again. He closed his eyes, feeling his stomach swoop as a nook piloted them on a swift, steady charge to the world above. A final gut-wrenching surge, and suddenly Lenarval was horizontal once more, bobbing on the ocean. Brandon opened his eyes. Outside the portholes, the sea rippled, reflecting the hues from the moon and the northern lights above, its beauty in stark contrast to the eerie green glow growing from beneath the surface. Anuk, I think they're still after us. We have to dump the cargo. We cannot, Brandon. I will not tell you again. A cheery bell rang through the night. Brandon tensed. What is that? Anuk had gone pale, her eyes wide and terrified. As you would say, bloody ale. What? They twice pestered it. Do I want to know what you just said? No. The bell rang again. Ignoring a nook, Brandon opened the hatch. Carefully, he raised his head. A monstrosity of a ship bore down on them. He had no words. He had read about the use of iron to build a ship's hull, but until now he had never seen it used. Easily fifty meters in length, but only half as wide, the ironclad's three mastheads towered into the sky, enhanced by the singular steaming stack mounted after the central main mast. Weapon mounts extended from the sides of the hull at ten-meter intervals. 
built to fight. This ship demanded respect, and Brandon surmised that even the vaunted English Navy would think twice before engaging it. Um, a nook? Friend or foe? Tabernak! A split down the front of the main hull appeared and widened as the bow opened like the maw of a sea monster. A nook? Friend or foe? With the pod damaged, they couldn't outrun this beast of a ship. Even if they could, the ghost ship lurked, waiting. But Brandon was determined to put up a fight if needed. A friend to Moose. With the engines inoperable, it was all a nook could do to turn the pod in place so as to properly orient them for whatever was coming. Brandon watched as the maw grew closer, surrounded them, and drew them inside. They emerged in a dim holding bay, just large enough for one subpod. Dark water lapped against Le Narval. Brandon jumped from the pod onto a metal deck that ran along the bay's perimeter. A nook trailed behind him, glancing in all directions, as though frightened of being taken by surprise. Besides them, the bay was empty. Brandon sighed in relief as he picked out the moose insignia emblazoned on the bulkheads. It is a moose ship. And here I was, thinking we meant something terrifying. Some gut-wrenching, awful brute of a... Part the Fifth In which the compass finds its final resting place and Agent Hill finds a certain alcohol missing. On the bridge, Brandon stared out to sea again. The surface shone under the moonlight undisturbed. For now. Sighing, he turned back to the table dominating most of the bridge. Anook stood with her arms crossed, scowling. Across from her, another woman beamed. She was taller than Anook with long strawberry blonde hair flowing past her shoulders. Anook, Anook, is this your English agent? Oh, Anook, he is so handsome. Anook, you must go with him and have lots of babies. And your babies will be beautiful too. Anook! Desjardins, take trois. I'm sorry. Brandon strode over. I don't think we've been formally introduced. Anook grimaced. Agent Brandon Hill, Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, Ontario Division. S'il vous plaît, meet... Hello, my name is Josette. The woman's grin widened further, if possible. Thoroughly perplexed, Brandon left his hand wavering in midair. Josette... Josette Desjardins, captain of the moose ship La Détonation. Josette twirled a strand of hair around her finger. Je suis enchantée. <laughs> Suddenly, she quieted. Sidling around the table, she whispered something to a nook whose dark eyes widened. No, Josette! Brandon went cold. A nook? What is it? A flurry of French erupted between the two, too quickly for him to catch more than the odd word. After a few moments, a nook threw her hands up. No! I will not ask him for you, eh? I refuse. Josette leaned closer to Brandon, so close he could smell perfume mingling with the scents of oil and gunpowder. Monsieur? Uh, yes? Monsieur Hill? You are so handsome. Would you like to touch my hair? What? Brandon yelped as the captain of Moose's flagship erupted into giggles. Each one sent a shiver down his spine, leaving him to ponder the sanity of Moose's command assignments. Anook stared daggers at her compatriot. I apologize, Agent Hill. I do not! 
which is why I do. Alok planted her hands on the table. Captain Desjardins, we must come about and change course directly for the center of the strait. But why? There is no time to explain. Just do it. And look, you are not being fair. You... Josette trailed off, a frown replacing her grin. Silent for once, she went to the railing and stared across the water. Brandon followed her gaze just in time to see a disturbance on the surface. It did not take a look in the glass to see the bow of a schooner as it pierced the water like a breaching whale. As it rose, exposing half the length of its hull, flames licked out from the cannon ports along the starboard side and danced over the decking. Reaching the peak of its breach, the ship fell forward, landing afloat. Flames danced across the mast, rigging, and sails. The ship sat idle for a moment before its bow turned towards La Detonation, and its fiery sails caught the wind. Out the boat! We go on! No. Anouk lifted her chin. To the center! Ah! Josette confided to Brandon, shaking her head. The poor girl! She's <laughs> completely mad! Complete? It is you who are mad! This is my all traces of humor had vanished from her voice. Suddenly, she did not even look capable of giggling. I will not risk air, nor will I risk the lives of my crew. I do not know what that thing is, but I know that we will not approach. Capitaine Desjardins, bien sûr, she is your ship, but this is my operation. And on my authority as the agent in charge... You will set this course. That is an order. Ben oui, agent Tremblay. But I will note my objections in my logs. Damn your logs. Bring her about, maintenant. Shrugging, Josette stepped towards her bridge crew and repeated a nook's instruction. The orders echoed throughout the deck as each crewman took on their assigned task. Shouts arose from the main deck as the crew worked the rigging and stoked the fires in the steam engine. Josette glared at Anouk. Folding her arms over her chest, Anouk shrugged. For now. And do you plan to tell me what abomination we are facing? We need to return this to its captain. Hill held up the crate in which the compass rested. We'll explain after. I hope you do. Or I will never let you touch my air. No, even if you ask very, very nicely, I will not. And Brando, I think you should not. Although... It'd be beautiful, baby. May not, I think. A roar cut off the captain's wild ravings as the ship lurched to port and watered spray onto the deck. The once pristine railing that had run the length of the deck now lay in splinters a third of the way towards the bow. Weapons fire had torn it apart and taken three crewmen with it. Whether they were dead or not, Brandon could not tell. Captain Desjardins, I recommend you sound battle stations. I recommend you take your English little face and... Another deafening sonic boom masked the rest of her sentence, though Brennan could guess the gist of her meeting from her expression alone. Battle stations! Agent Trumpley, I told you this is my ship and you... Elbowing a nuke aside, Josette turned to her officers. And get that terrible thing off my ship! As Anouk and Brandon headed for the main deck, box in hand, the last thing he heard from Josette were her ordering her crew to man the weapons. She is... Competent. Anuk muttered as they stepped onto the deck. I bloody well hope so. Ensign, perhaps, but competent. 
The deck buzzed as Josette organized the crew, driving them to their stations and coordinating the defense of the ship. In the brief few seconds since the schooner had opened fire, the abomination had closed quite the distance, turning its broadside to La Detonation as though they intended to stand toe-to-toe with the fortified vessel, and possibly even board. From his place, Hill could see the Acadian crew clearly as they moved through the phantom fires that ravaged the deck. They lurched from station to station, their movements jerky and painful to watch. Scraps of loose flesh dangled from their gaunt limbs. As Brandon watched, one of the crew lifted his head and stared directly across at them. Even from this distance, its eyes burned like coals. didn't know where the call came from, nor did he care. But when Moose's cannons fired, the hull jerked as the ship snapped in recoil. To his left, Anouk's gasping told him she had lost her footing. English propriety took him, and he dropped the box to the deck, offering his hand to help her. Brandon! Instead of taking his hand, Anouk dove to his side, tackling the crate as it slid across the deck, drawing closer to the edge and closer to the Acadian ship. Before he could grab her, the box under her heaved once again and fell off the side of the ship, taking a screaming Anouk Tremblay with it. Anouk! He rushed to the remains of the railing, his voice raw in his throat. Peering over the side, he caught a flash of her dark hair as she flew into one of the breaches their cannons had caused. No! It felt as though he'd been struck by one of the cannons. Anouk! It's an ill! He turned. Josette was standing behind him, the light of battle fierce in her eyes and a fiendish grin on her face. She pressed a large gun into his hands. I can't bloody well fire in them from here. Josette shook her head and winked. Pneumatic rock gun! <laughs> Standard in Quebec. Josette, I could kiss you. Save it for a nuke, monsieur. Josette giggled merrily, signaling to her crew to fire again. No more losses on my watch. Turning to his target, Hill sighted the main mast and pulled the trigger. With a hiss, the spearhead propelled forward. Within the blink of an eye, it had impaled its target. Without a second thought, Hill took off running, and as he ran out of deck, almost immediately regretted it as he swung from La Detonation to the Arcadian ship. Releasing the rope, Hill fell to the deck and rolled through the phantom flames. Much to his surprise, they did not seem to affect him any more than they did the crew. A nook crouched low in the center of the deck, her pistol drawn and the box clutched to her chest. Two Acadians moved to cut him off from his partner, their swords drawn. Hill met them as a fighting blade slid from each of his wrist gauntlets into the palms of his hand. Brandon! Still playing with knives, I see, huh? Of course, my dear! Brandon whipped one of his blades towards the nearest crew member. It struck the undead creature in the chest with a satisfying squelch. Jerking it from the body, Brandon spun around, plunging it into another crew member's throat. Save my life! More than once! Myself? I prefer not to throw my weapons away. Anuk opened fire, dropping an advancing line of crew. You missed one, Brandon. Without further word, Brandon flung his right arm forward, letting loose another blade. It tore through the air and embedded itself in the eye of the fighter who had been trying to get behind Nook. So did you, he offered as he tugged, pulling the knife out of its victim by way of an elastic cable that attached the weapon to his wrist. Monkey! He sliced into another who had come up to his right. Knife! He caught his target in the gut. Fights! He emphasized with the twist of a blade. I was saving him for last. Anuk fired almost without looking. And monsieur? What? She withdrew another pistol from a waistband, flipped it around, and sprayed a shower of bullets at the ghost crew bearing down on Brandon. 
They fell with agonizing screams, their deadened fingers clawing at nothing as bullets shredded through their thin, gray flesh. Anuk smiled, looking supremely self-satisfied. Narwhal fencing! Brandon could not help laughing until the pommel of a sword smashing into his jaw sent him reeling and reminded him just how dire the circumstances really were. Anuk, we can't keep this up forever. Where the bloody hell is the compass? In the box still. Anuk nodded towards it. I have it here. Well, cut it loose! Anuk dropped the box onto the deck, kicking it away from her. The ghost crew roared, their eyes blazing. They lurched towards it, shoving Brandon and sending him shoulder first into the deck. With a grin in his direction, Anuk cocked her pistol, took aim, and fired. The box exploded in a shower of splinters. Finally freed, the compass shot upwards into the air and arced aft. It streaked through the air until it stopped dead in its path, its chain caught in the hand of the one member of the crew who had not entered the fray. Everything stopped. The crew turned to their captain, as did Brandon in a nook. No one moved. Even the cannons fell silent. The captain smiled, his withered lips raising just enough to reveal lines of blackened teeth. Without looking away from the horizon, he snapped the compass open. Another tense moment passed before he looked at its reading. Snapping it closed, he lifted his head once again, reached for the wheel, and gave a hard turn to port. As though an unspoken command had gone through their ranks, the crew erupted in cheers, a dry, rattling noise that made the hairs on Brandon's neck rise. Then, without another word, they slouched to their posts, raised the sails, and adjusted the lines. Is it over? Beneath them, the fires grew in intensity as the decking faded to translucence. I think it's time we make our exit, Anuk. Oh, by we. <laughs> she climbed onto the now transparent, almost invisible railing and looked over her shoulder. Shall we? Brandon reeled backwards. Jump? She rolled her eyes, but her smile was almost tender. I will hold your hand, Brandon. For a moment, he simply stood there frozen, the ship fading around him and Anuk's outstretched hand dangling in the air. Then he gripped it. Her fingers, small and warm in his hand, squeezed tightly. On three. One. Trois. She leapt over the side, dragging him along. Wind screamed past Brandon's head, only to be cut short by the shock of cold water and a massive splash. Letting go of Anuk's hand, he clawed his way to the surface. By the time he broke the surface and the water cleared his vision, the ghost ship had settled into a northerly route. But as it set sail, it rode higher in the water, as though it had unloaded cargo and ballast. I thought we were waiting for three. <laughs> Bien sûr. I said trois, and then I jumped. Anuk splashed him. <laughs> what did you expect? Brandon sighed, treading water and watching as the ghost ship continued to lift itself out of the sea. Actually... Knowing you, precisely that. They turned at the familiar sound of bells coming from behind them. Brandon! Where are you? Oh dear God, that woman is terrifying. Brandon commented as La Detonation drew towards them. The calls of Les Hommes à la Mer sounded from the deck and one of the crew threw down a rope ladder that unrolled as it fell. The two swam together, but Brandon offered a nook the ladder first, following her up only after she had been safely pulled aboard. When he reached the deck, she was already fending off Josette. I think 
Brandon and myself, we need some time to... Josette twirled her strawberry blonde hair around her finger. I see, Annick. <laughs> Get out of these wet clothes and... Annick, I knew it! And change immediately back into dry ones. Brandon cut in. In separate quarters. Besides which, I think I need a drink. Giggling, Josette pointed him in the direction of the galley. After a few wrong turns, he finally found it. Alone, at last, he opened the cabinets, one after the next, only to find... Nothing. But the rum is gone? What kind of ship has no rum? Oh, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon turned to see a nook leaning in the doorframe, that devilishly playful look on her face once again. Silly English. We do have rum. Mm, but one bottle only. Without missing a beat, she drew it from behind her back. And it is mine. If you'd like to share. As the rising sun spilled through the starboard porthole, Brandon sighed. Bloody hell. Grinning, Anouk popped the bottle's top and pulled the door closed. This podcast featured PC Herring as the narrator, Gavin Douglas as Agent Brandon Hill, Katie Brisky as Captain Josette Desjardins, and Blythe Haynes as Agent Anouk Tremblay. Katie Brisky is a Canadian author, podcaster, and Pokemon master. She made her podcasting and publishing debut with Hapix, an apocalyptic fantasy with Dragon Moon Press, and she has stories in Black Treacle Horror Magazine, When the Hero Comes Home, Volume 2, Tales of a Tesla Ranger, and Tales from the Archives, Volume 3. That story, Under Oak Island, was a Parsec finalist. Select playwriting credits include scripts for Black Creek Pioneer Village, East of the Sun and West of the Moon for the Canadian Children's Opera Company, and Key of D Minor for the Sears Ontario Drama Festival. Never one to shy away from a challenge, she ventured into RPGs with Yeti's Parole Officer, released in 2014 from Choice of Games. When she's not writing, KT can often be found frolicking in petticoats at Black Creek Pioneer Village, educating the general public about Victorian social history. In addition, KT writes and edits the Black Creek Growler, the official blog of the Black Creek Historic Brewery. She also does freelance copy editing. KT still lives in Toronto, with her long-suffering roommates, and she is currently working on her next novel. PC Herring has been a fan of science fiction from an early age. He has always been one of those who looked up at the night sky and wondered, what if? On 010110, he began exploring these questions when he made his debut as a writer and podcast novelist with the release of the Cybrosis podcast. Since then, he has not looked back. He has contributed short stories to Scott Sigler's The Crypt, Book One, The Crew podcast, Tales of a Tesla Ranger, Philippa Ballantyne's Chronicles of the Order, and T. Morris and Pitt Ballantyne's Tales from the Archives anthology, where his podcast of The Seven won the 2012 Parsec Award for Best Short Story. And he is currently hard at work on his next full-length novel, Slipspace Harbinger.
Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy. Now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print, digital, and audio. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.